I wonder if you've ever been an emotional hostage to worry or anxiety. (laughs) Have the cares and concerns of this world ever gripped your heart and robbed you of sleep and emotional well-being? Do you let issues or worries take center stage in your mind and allow those issues to consume your thoughts and cause patterns of negative thinking to well up within you? Do you have harassing and intrusive thoughts about what people have said about you or done to you? (laughs) Thoughts that seem to control your mind, thoughts that steal your peace and drain your joy. Do you spend time rehearsing uh, your feelings of worthlessness and rejection and you lose your peace and joy because of it? Do you ever just worry? Worry about tomorrow and what could happen, what might happen, what you're wishing doesn't happen? Are you troubled by racing thoughts, uncontrollable thinking, feelings of dread, panic, or impending doom? If so, it's highly possible that what you're feeling is anxiety. In an instant, out of nowhere, we can all be gripped by, with fear, overwhelmed by worry, and taken captive by anxiety that seems to dominate our every moment and rob us of well-being. Some of us ha- have allowed anxiety to hijack our lives only to find out later that the very thing we were worried about never even materialized. I read an article in Huff, in Huff Post this week that talked about the quote, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. The article talked about a study that someone recently did to prove that quote correct. Uh, the study looked, about, looked at how many of our imagined calamities never materialize. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identified which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. It turned out that 85% of the subjects, that what the subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects discovered that they could either handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson that they thought was worth learning. So that means that 97% of what you and I worry about is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. Wasted time, wasted energy, All that could have been avoided by doing what the Bible tells us to do and turning it over to the Lord. Anxiety, fear, and worry are the results of depending on our own strength in times of trouble rather than relying on and trusting in the God who is able and the one who will always be faithful to us and to his word. I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, and I'm certainly not trying to minimize the realness of the anxiety that many of us feel. It's real, but the hard reality is the fuel that feeds anxiety, fear, and worry is actually unbelief. It's our refusal to rest upon God and his word and trust that he is sovereign over all and is able to perfect all that concerns us. Anxiety, fear, and worry are some of the most destructive forces that we deal with as believers. They undermine our faith, overwhelm our feelings, and cause us to question the faithfulness of God. They're crippling emotions. And that's why it's so important that we have a battle strategy prepared ahead of time. To be ready with a plan when anxiety strikes and when fear tries to derail us from the abundant life that Christ died for us to have. He wants us to break free from the crippling effects of anxiety. And he's given us a clearly defined strategy in his word. And that's what I'd like to look at tonight. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 through 7. But would you just pray with me first? Father God, I thank you that your word is powerful. Oh, it's so powerful, Lord. It's active and it never returns void. 
And I thank you, Lord, that I can have confidence that as your word goes forth in this place tonight, that it will go forth and it will prosper and it'll do the very thing that you sent it to do. And so, Father, I'm asking that you anoint ears to hear, that you anoint hearts to receive, Lord God, that you make us alert to your voice, Father, that you would just penetrate our hearts and our minds and that you would radically change and transform us with your word tonight. Lord, I'm asking that you keep a lock over my lips that I only say what you want me to say and that I say it with boldness and with confidence and with great authority. Lord, I pray that you would just um, help me to um, sift through my notes, help me to know what's important to say and what's not important to say. And Lord, would you just speak to your people tonight because we are eager to hear from you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Philippians 4 uh, verse one through se- verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euadia and I implore sanctity to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are, names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Believe it or not, anxiety-free living is possible, and it's something our Lord offers. It's a gospel truth available to us, but we need to learn how to receive it as our own. I, I personally believe that anxiety is a tool that the enemy uses to keep us from a place of peace and rest. He gets us to focus on our circumstances and he whispers lies to exaggerate and amplify things in our minds and then we start to imagine every negative outcome possible and before we know it, we've forfeited our peace and our joy and we're tormented by uncontrollable thoughts. But as I said, God has given us a clearly defined strategy right here in his word. And so let's look a little closer at it tonight. Check out verse 1. It says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. That is so important. You've heard me say a million times when you see therefore, you ask yourself what it's there for. It's a hinge. It hinges what happened before, what came before this passage with what's coming after it. And what came before is Paul says in verse 17 uh, through 19, he's talking about people who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about people who are are living solely to please themselves and not the Savior. And then he goes on in verse 20, and he's talking to believers now, and he's saying, but your citizenship is in heaven. You're from another country. You, you don't belong here, and so you should live like you, like you came from another country. My husband Dave immigrated from England, and when he immigrated, you could tell he was from a different country. He didn't talk like everybody else. He didn't dress like everybody else. He didn't fit like everybody else. And I'm just telling you that as Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven and not of this world. And so we should look different than everybody else. We should talk differently than everybody else. We should treat others differently than everybody else is treating them. Because our citizenship is in heaven. We don't live solely for ourselves. We live solely to please the Lord. And then he, he begins to say, that's what the therefore is there for. He, he's saying, because your citizenship is in heaven and you don't live like everybody else, you need to stand fast in that truth and you need not to be drawn in to that opposition. You need to not live like the unbeliever down the street. More is expected of you as a believer. 
And he's going to go on to say what that looks like. But first, he points out two women. I want you to just think about this. We know this story so well. But, but these two women are listed in the Word of God. This letter is being read to the Philippians, and two women are being pointed out. Can you imagine what they must have thought? They were called out by name. And, and handed down thousands of years in the Word of God, what they did stood that test. And do you know what they did? They were feuding among each other. They were, they were disputing each other. They, 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 were, they were nitpicking each other. They, they, they were acting unforgiving towards each other, and Paul calls them out. He calls them out, and he says, I'm imploring you. Notice he says, I implore each one of them. He, he doesn't say, I implore Uadia and Sanctity. He says, I implore Uadia, and I implore Sanctity. Lest Uadia should say, see, he listed you first. You're the bad one. Because, you know, that's what we get like women when, we're, well, when we are testy and we're, we're bickering and, and, and we're thinking too highly of ourselves. And so he, he makes sure that nobody is pointed out individually there. And, and he's urging them to be of the same mind and to live in harmony with one another. I read a quote this week that said, Christians at war with each other cannot be at peace with their heavenly father. I like that because the last place we should see feuding, we should see people at war, is in the church. I could park there and preach all night, but I want to get to anxiety. Uh, so look at verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Notice it says always, not when you feel like it. Not just when things are going your way. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what is happening in your life. Rejoicing brings breakthrough. Rejoicing in the Lord, in his, in his goodness, in his uh, ability to bring you through, is going to be your ticket out of that place of despair. I read a story about a 92-year-old woman who was legally blind. In spite of her limitation, she was always neatly dressed and her hair was always carefully brushed and her makeup was tastefully applied. And each morning she would, she would greet the day with eagerness even though she was blind. After her husband of 70 years died, it became necessary for her to go to a nursing home so she could be cared for. And on the day of the move, a, a helpful neighbor drove her there and guided her into the lobby only to find that her room was not ready. And, and so she waited patiently in that lobby for several hours before her room became ready. And when an attendant finally came uh, to take her to her room, she smiled sweetly as she maneuvered her walker into the elevator. And the staff member described her room to her because she was blind, including the new curtains that had been hung on the windows. And the little lady said, I love it. And the staff member replied, Mrs. Jones, you haven't even seen your room yet, and you're blind. And the lady said, that doesn't have anything to do with it. She said, happiness is something you choose. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how it's arranged. It depends on how I arrange my mind. Paul is going to tell us in these next couple verses how to arrange our mind when dealing with things that we don't like or things that are uncomfortable in our lives. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word let means allow. Allow your gentleness to be seen and to be evidenced to everyone around you. That word gentleness means forbearing. It describes a person who does not always insist on every right of letter and law. It stands for the spirit of or an attitude that does not seek to retaliate. It denotes one's willingness to give and take instead of always standing rigidly on one's rights. This is the person who is yielding his rights and is therefore gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. One who has sweet reasonableness and the ability to extend to others the kindly consideration which one would wish to receive themselves. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I, I love the Amplified. It says, let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your considerateness, and your forbearing spirit. 
It's interesting that the tense is in the aorist imperative. In other words, this is a command to let your gentleness be evident to everyone around you. And, and, and the, the aorist means to do it now and to do it effectively so that others can come to know it by their experience. Oh, I love that. Let your gentleness, a command, be evident to everybody around you. Everybody you come in contact should be able to testify to your gentleness, to your forbearance, to your willingness to, to, to just die to yourself and to your rights, if you will, and, and be kind and compassionate and gentle to them. Remember, this is coming after he has just scolded two women for bickering and fighting uh, amongst each other. And what he's saying, basically, in following with that command is, girls, you are not dying to yourself. You are not, you're demanding your own rights. You're demanding to be right. How many of our lives does that really um, describe right there? For the sake of peace, Paul is saying we should be ready and willing to yield what we call our rights, our pride, our preference, and show gentleness to others. He said, let your gentleness be evident to all, not, not just to some, not just to the people who are nice to you, not, not just to the, the people who are easy to get along with, but to everybody. That means to the people who push your buttons, to the people who don't treat you very nicely, to the people who trigger your anxiety and worry. Because in the very next verse, he's going to say, don't be anxious for anything. It's important to remember that when Paul is writing this, where is he at? Where are my Friday morning people studying Philippians? Where is Paul at when he's writing this? He's in prison. And he, and he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. In fact, the chances of him dying are very, very high. He knows that. And so he is writing, don't be anxious about anything, when he is sitting in a dirty dungeon prison, probably facing a death sentence for something he didn't do, for something he was not guilty about, for something that, that was unjust and unfair. And he's saying, now, that, so to, to see how this gives some, some credence to what he's saying here. He, he's not being super spiritual by saying, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. He, he's not just spewing that super spiritual remark out there. He is saying it from a position of someone who has every right to be anxious. Nero is in, 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 in command, and, and he was psycho. He was the one that made, made Christians human torches. He's the one that would put dog skins on, uh, or not dog skins, what do, dog skins. He would wrap them uh, in, in skins, in dog skins, and, and then send the dogs out after them. It was, he was psycho. And, and this is the man that Paul was waiting the death sentence from. So he had every reason to be anxious. And yet his command, and it's a command, is don't be anxious about anything. Let's look at the translations of this verse. I really like the way Lightfoot translates it. He says, entertain no anxious cares, but throw them all upon God. The Passion Translation says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Weiss says, stop perpetually worrying about every one thing. I love that. He says, be anxious for nothing. That word be is in the present tense. It means that your continuous ongoing behavior, your habit should be that you're not anxious about anything, that you're not letting anxiety have a place in your life, that you're pushing it out because you know you're, you're, you're dealing with the command in the word of God not to let that thing have any power in your life. That word anxious is, is a very interesting word in the Greek, in the original language. It can be translated several, I think it's used like 17 times in the New Testament, and it's translated different ways in, in several verses. Sometimes it's translated as anxiety. Sometimes it's translated as worries. Sometimes it's translated as cares. It encompasses all of those things. And so in the Greek, it, it, it's so interesting. Jesus uses it uh, when he says, don't worry about your life. 
He uses it when he's talking to, to Martha, who's angry and busy about doing many things, and Mary's not helping her. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. He uses that word there. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says, I want you to be without cares. So that word is used over and over, and, and the Greek word is so interesting. It's a combination of two words. It's a compound word, and the first word means to tear or to divide. And the second word is nos, which means mind, to tear or divide the mind. Is that a perfect description of anxiety or what? That which tears or divides the mind. Somebody tell me what James said about the, the, the man who, who uh, has a double mind or a divided mind. He's unstable in all he does. And that's what anxiety does to us. It divides our mind and it pulls us in two different directions. It pulls us away from peace and into trouble. I should, I should ask Petra and her dad about this. Apparently, the word worry comes from an old German word. I wish I could get them to pronounce it. It means to choke or to strangle. It talks about a mental strangulation through fear and anxiety and stress and worry. How appropriate is that for anxiety? A mental strangulation. I really like the King James Version here. It says, it doesn't say anxious. It says, be careful for nothing. I love that. Be careful for nothing. Be full of cares. Careful for nothing. Don't miss the fact that this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's not when you feel like it's statement. And I, I'm just going to tell you, church, we need to begin to learn to take God's commands seriously. And you say, well, Rhea, this feels like an impossible command to me. But what you don't understand is that when God commands something, he empowers it as well. And so God's commands always come with his enablements. He is the, the enabler. He will enable us to obey. But we, he waits for our yield. He waits for us to say yes to his commands. He waits for us to, to apply them in our life. And once we yield to it, the power to do it will be there. He's a supernatural God. And sometimes his commands seem impossible or unrealistic in the natural. But when you realize his indwelling presence is supernatural, you'll want to yield to it. Not only is it a command, but it's in the present tense. He, he's saying it should be our ongoing habitual practice not to be anxious. It's interesting because it's also in the negative, which means that, that he's commanding them to stop something that's already in progress. In other words, they are being anxious. They're living in a time where Christians are being persecuted. There was a lot of things to be anxious about. And so what he's saying is stop being anxious and don't be anxious anymore. Don't get me wrong, I don't think Paul is implying uh, that there, there aren't things to be anxious about in this world. I don't think he was turning a blind spiritual eye to that. I think he was saying that God has offered a solution and you don't have to live like that. I want you to see the reason that I backed up in these verses and read back to verse 1 was because I really wanted you to see what when he says the the. Be, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. He, he starts right before he tells us not to be anxious about anything. He reminds us of the nearness of God. Do you see that? The nearness of God. And, and, and what we have to understand, uh, that, that God is near. He, he's promised never to abandon us. He's promised never to forsake us or to relax his hold on us. He says he is our very present help in times of trouble. And that when we call, he will answer. Do, do you understand that God is with you? And if God be with you, who in their right mind could be against you? You see, I, I don't worry about my enemies because I feel sorry for them if they're my enemy because I get this principle. I get that God is for me. And if God is for me, you do not want to be against me. He is on my side. He is with me like a mighty warrior. I don't fight my own battles. I stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. 
And we have got to get that in our mind, that God is for you and he's not against you. And he is near. He is near. He is with you like a mighty warrior. Do you understand that? And so before he calls us to be anxious about nothing and gives us a command that looks impossible, he reminds us of the nearness of God. The one who's able to enable us and empower us to walk out that command. And I, I told you it was a command. And when we disobey commands, what is that called? Sin. So I'm just going to tell you something that you might not like to hear. And you, you know I'm not one to ever water anything down. But I'm just going to tell you that anxiety, I believe, is a sin. And that might hurt some of your spiritual, you know, religious mindsets. I don't care. It's a command in the Word of God. And when you disobey a command, it is sin. And so, Leslie, you got this principle a long time ago, didn't you? Leslie was plagued with anxiety because of some childhood trauma, and, and, and she, she was plagued with it. And one day, the Lord revealed to her that anxiety was a sin. And so she began, every time anxiety crept into her life, what would you do? She'd repent. And she'd say, Lord, I'm calling it what you call it. I am not going to sit in this anxiety any longer. I'm calling it sin. And it's sin because I, I, it's unbelief. I'm, I am believing that this circumstance has more power than you, God. I'm believing that, that, that you won't be faithful to me. I'm believing that, that, that you are not near, that you are not with me. That with, I, I'm believing, I'm not trusting you that you're sovereign even over what I'm going through right now. And, and so I, I will tell you that I believe you, you really broke through and got victory uh, against anxiety and being plagued by it when she began to call it what God calls it. I think it's a respectable sin, you know. It's not like, uh, what do we like, those unrespectable sins? You know, the ones we point out in everybody else. And we get lots of satisfaction pointing out in everybody else. But anxiety? Call that a sin? Mm -mm. No. So what is the answer to that? Jesus, you, you say, well, Rhea, that's Paul saying that it's, a, that it's a command. That's not Jesus, so I don't know if it's a sin. So turn over to Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red. He says, this is why I tell you never to be worried about your life. This is Jesus. I'm telling you never to be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Consider the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them, with each, them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which one of you, by worrying, could add one single thing to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers in the field. They don't work or toil, and yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was, robbed in, was robed in beauty like one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need, you of little faith? So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your bodies require? So above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. That was Jesus speaking. Another command and coming from Jesus. And I want you to see he doesn't rebuke people for worrying. He doesn't rebuke people for being fearful. Instead, he directs them back to himself because that's the answer. That's what Paul is talking about here. 
And, and lest you think it's just Paul and Jesus, turn over to Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7. I want to read that to you in a couple different translations. He says, pour out all your worries and stress upon him, God, and leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. The voice says, so bow down under God's strong hand, and when the time comes, God will lift you up. Since God cares for you, let him carry all your burdens and worries. The Amplified says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside your self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you in a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you carefully. You see, we humble ourselves before God by admitting we can't fix our problems ourselves, that we can't um, fix the things that are causing us worries and concerns. We humble ourselves by casting those cares onto him because we, we care for him. We know he cares for us. Uh, this passage uh, just uh, indicates that the root of our anxious hearts is a pride problem. And I don't believe anyone who struggles with anxiety will ever think their problem is pride. But Richard Caldwell says the reason why it's a pride problem is that we cannot really believe what the Bible presents to us about our God, his faithfulness, his knowledge of our lives, what we're going through, his care of our lives, his concern for our lives, his ability to do something about what's going on in our lives, his faithfulness to make sure that he regulates everything in our life for his glory and our good. You can't really believe those things and be afraid. If God is really who he claims to be in Scripture, we have no reason to be afraid. Which means the only way we have an anxious heart is to say, God, you either don't really know what I'm going through or you don't really care about it or you have no ability to do anything about it, which would be a very proud thing to say. And so we humble ourselves by casting our anxieties on him and, and we wait in faith for a response. Psalm 55, 2 says, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That word cast means to literally throw them onto Jesus, to put down a burden. Uh, I, I travel, you know, all the time speaking at conferences across the U.S. And there's nothing better than, than when I've spoken for a whole weekend and traveled and gotten on airplane after airplane and I get off at General Mitchell and, and I come to the end of the terminal and I see Dave waiting there for me. There's nothing better than that for me because, you know, the first thing he does when he sees me, he takes my bags off of my shoulders, he takes my purse off of my shoulders, he takes my roller bag away, and, and he carries that burden for me the rest of the way out of the airport. And there's such a relief that comes on me when he does that. That is what God wants to do to you. He wants you to cast your care onto him. He wants to take your burdens off of you. He wants to relieve you of that burden. Imagine if I said to Dave, thanks, big guy, but no thanks, and I'm just going to continue to carry this burden myself, and you can walk free from it, and, and, I'll can, and I'll, in my stubborn refusal to let him carry my bags, I'm stuck with a burden. In your stubborn refusal to let God carry your burden, you are stuck with it because he is a God who wants to carry it. He invites us over and over and over in Scripture to cast our cares onto him, to let him carry our anxious thoughts and our anxious concerns. But sometimes we stubbornly refuse him. It's interesting to me that God calls us sheep and not camels. Camels carry burdens. Uh, Dave was a shepherd in England, and, and he will tell you that sheep were never meant to carry burdens. Neither were you and I. When our burdens get heavy, God has given us the solution to cast them onto him. We transfer them from our shoulders onto the shoulders of the one who is able to, bury, to bear them. The message says, pile your troubles on God's shoulders and he'll carry your load. He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. So he says, be anxious for nothing. That word nothing means nothing. It means no thing. It means absolutely nothing. That you don't have the exception to the thing that can be, you can be anxious about. That your situation is not the one thing that God is going to say, hey, I understand that. You have a right to be anxious about that. 
That's the scripture. That's the word of God. He's saying be anxious about nothing. Verse 6b, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, but in everything. And again, that means radically all. It, it means everything. Big, small, emergency, non-emergency, silly or serious, ridiculous or understandable. In everything, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving. Present those requests to God. By prayer, that means we go to God with our concerns and our cares, and we choose not to be anxious about anything. We give them to him in prayer with faith, without total trust. The Bible says, you've heard me say this, without faith, without total trust in God, it is impossible to please him. Because those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe, do you believe in God? You see, that we, we say we believe in God, but my question for you tonight is do you believe God? Because he says without faith, total trust, total belief, it's impossible to please him. And when we say this situation has more power than you, God, we don't have total trust in him. That this situation gets to drain me of peace and joy <laughs> that you promise is mine in you. Without faith, total trust in God and his ability, it's impossible to please him. When we go to God in prayer, we acknowledge our dependence upon him. And, and he tells us in this passage that an exchange takes place when we do that. If uh, Be anxious about nothing, but through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and he in turn will guard your heart and your mind with peace that passes all understanding. Do, do you, do I just I don't want to get too far ahead, but that word guard means a garrison. It's a military term, and it's a picture of a garrison of soldiers guarding something that, that's making that place impenetrable to the enemy. And that's the word that he chooses to use. And what he's saying is, hey, Julie, if you choose not to be anxious about something and instead you bring it to God through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, he will exchange, he'll take that burden from you and he'll give you in exchange a garrison of peace soldiers to garrison your heart See, hearts are where our feelings are. How much of our anxiety is fed by, she hurt my feelings, or they don't like me, or they said this about me, or they rejected me, or feelings, right? Guard your heart, your feelings, and your mind where we meditate and have that anxiety. He's going to bring a garrison. I'm taking that burden from you. Exchange of life principle. I'm taking that burden, and I'm giving you a garrison of peace soldiers to guard your heart and your mind so that the enemy can't penetrate either of those places with his tool. Because I'm telling you, it's his tool. God is a God of peace, not of anxiety. And so if you have anxiety, I promise that's not from God. And he invites you to exchange. I love one up. Where are my Friday people? It was, it was Laura who said a one-up man. Where was that word, Laura? What was it? Level up. That we level up with God. We get to go a level up with God. Oh, he offers that to us over and over and over again. And, and this is an example of that. You can level up. You can sit there in anxiety and fear and worry and torment. Or you can level up. And you can exchange that baby. You can come to me in prayer and, and petition and with thanksgiving and level up and get a peace soldier, a garrison of peace soldiers around your heart and your mind. What do you want? I mean, what do you want? Do you want to lay there every night and meditate and, and be gripped with fear? I mean, how many of you ever felt it in your stomach where you're like, it's like jumping up and down in there? And Is that what you want? You want to live like that? Because my God says we don't have to. And I choose to believe this word over the natural. I believe a supernatural word over a natural situation. Sorry, not sorry. I just do. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I, I think it's interesting, that thanksgiving part, because I, I think we forget about that. And I, I was asking the Lord about that this week and what that really means. And, and I really sense that thanksgiving is really verbalizing our belief in his goodness. 
I really do. I, I think it's, Lord, I'm just so thankful that no matter, I'm giving this to you in prayer, and I'm so thankful that no matter what you do, no matter how you answer this, I can just, I can just count on your goodness. That even if you don't give me what I want, that you will give me what's best for me. And I can bank on that, Lord. And so I'm coming to you with thankfulness. And I'm giving this to you with thankfulness that I would like you to do it this way. And it would be really cool if you just nailed her. But that might not be your way. And so I'm just giving it to you because I'm tired of carrying it. And, and so I'm resting in your goodness. I'm so thankful that you're a good God. I'm so thankful that you're a faithful God. That's what thankfulness does. It also is, is reminding yourself of what he did before, being thankful, reminding yourself what he did back here for you, and reminding yourself for that and being thankful for it. Tonight I prayed for somebody who, who was asking for healing, and the first thing I did was thank God that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I reminded myself of who he was and what he can do. I reminded myself that we have a whole word of God with one miracle after another. God doing the impossible, I reminded myself of that and I thanked him for it I thanked him for that before I asked him for anything else because it was the reminder of who he was and who he still is that made me pray with faith do, do you see that thankfulness is so important it's so important with prayer petition and with thanksgiving present your request to God and the God of peace <laughs> God of peace the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word peace, is it, it, it's so interesting. It's the, the New Testament idea of peace gets its origin in the Old Testament, where peace possesses the root meaning of wholeness. I, I don't know if anybody's ever suffered with anxiety, but you don't feel whole when you have anxiety. Exchange of life principle. You bring me your anxiety. I'll give you peace, wholeness, in exchange for that. It's a peace powerful enough to master anxiety, and you have to choose to believe that. Isaiah 26.3 says, it's one of my, my favorite scripture verses, I will keep at perfect peace his, him whose mind is stayed on me. It, I will keep at perfect peace, wholeness, him whose mind, remember, Guard your heart and your mind. Where does anxiety rule and reign? In the mind. I will keep at perfect peace, wholeness, him whose mind is stayed fixed on me. So, so if we want that perfect peace, where do we have to keep our mind? On him, not on our circumstances. One of the things we do with, with the men, we, Dave and I work with men and women who have sex addictions, and one of the things we teach the men especially is to, to mind their mind. To, to, to redirect their mind when, when their mind goes to, to objectifying a woman, when their mind goes to trash that they've been looking at, when their mind goes to a thought that's not good and it's going to take them the wrong place, to immediately redirect their mind. To, to think, we'll say, focus on the color of those, the, look how many black panels are on that wall. And you start re, redirecting your mind to something else. And, because where the mind goes, the man will follow. I will keep at perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on me. We have to redirect our mind. When anxiety comes and tries to grip us, we have to choose to redirect our mind to a scripture. Have a scripture available to start meditating on. Start just singing a song. Start meditating on a scripture. Start thanking God for who he is, but redirect your mind. The mind is the part that gets divided by anxiety. He says, and the, the peace of God, I, I want you to see it's, it's not your peace. You can't manufacture it. This is a peace that comes from spending time with God. It's the peace of God. It originates from him. And dear ones, I'm just going to tell you, you can't access that kind of peace unless you're spending time with him. That's prayer. Prayer is connection with God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give you peace like the world gives you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. You see, I get peace through my connection with him. 
He says it's peace that surpasses all understanding. And, and that means it's ridiculous peace. Today, I had a friend who, who had a court appearance, and it was not going to be a, uh, it was not a good court appearance for him, and he was nervous about it. And I, I, I promised him I'd be praying for him, and I prayed all week long. Probably if we prayed for a, probably a month for him. And one of the things I prayed specifically today, that God would give him ridiculous peace. I, I prayed for, that was the word I used, ridiculous peace. Not peace that passes all understanding, because that's what this is. It's ridiculous peace. It's peace that the world can't comprehend. It's peace that, 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 that doesn't even make sense. It's a promise of something supernatural. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that we can't explain away. And it'll guard, that's that garrison word, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you, Warren Wearsby, I just want to give you one more quote before we close. Warren Wearsby says, worry is wrong thinking, which is the mind, and wrong feeling, which is the heart. Worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. It's not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because that will never capture the thief. Worry is an inside job, and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is the secure mind. When you have a secure mind, the peace of God guards you, and he, the God of all peace, guides you. With that kind of protection, why worry? So we see in this passage that he will uh, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so we, we see the need for believers to keep their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in faith, in duty. John Phillips says, through Christ Jesus was the secret of, of Paul's own peace for his soul. God's peace was established in him by the indwelling Christ. Paul experienced the peace of God because Christ lived his life in Paul. And Christ would live his life in the Philippians too if they would let him. And he's willing to live his life in us as well if we will let him. Satan would like our minds to, to, to be taken captive by storm. But God offers his peace as a garrison against all attacks. And we have to stop being afraid. We have to learn that the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And our job is to keep ourselves in Christ, in that place of peace. And we do that through prayer, through spending time in his word. So the command goes forth, don't be anxious about anything. But through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of all peace will guard your heart and mind with peace that passes all understanding. I read a statistic this week that said that um, 18, I think it was 18-year-olds, that their level of anxiety right now is higher than what it was like in the 1950s in a psychiatric ward. And, and, and so anxiety is at an all-time high in our world today. I'm not dismissing mental illness. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that, 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 I'm just trying to tell you that God offers a solution. And, and we have got to come to a point, church, where we start believing God's word over the natural, what's going on around us. He says, it's a command. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about anything. Cast your cares onto me. Those are all commands. And so if God commanded it, he will enable it, and he will empower us to walk it out. So let's flesh that out. When anxiety comes knocking at your door this week, when worry pulls up in your front yard, when concerns overwhelm you and concern you and consume you, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to sit there and meditate on those things? Or are you going to cast them onto the Lord and say, Lord, you commanded me to not be anxious. I don't want to receive this anxiety. I repent of anxiety now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. It's going to guard my heart and my mind. 
So it's, it's a challenge to flesh it out. I'm going to ask Megan to come, and I just want you to stand to your feet, and I, I want to dismiss you, but I want to pray for you before you go. I'm aware that what I just threw out there for some of you, you're like, Rhea, this thing is mastering my life, and I, I, I'm really, I really made it sound like it's, it's nothing, and I'm not trying to do that. And, and you're telling me that it's that easy. It's not that easy. I'm telling you what God says. And I'm, I'm asking you to choose what you believe. Um, it's real. I, I watched Leslie be tormented by it for years until she broke free. But she broke free. We'll be in the car and she'll say, yep, I'm not receiving that anxiety in the name of Jesus. You need to go from my life right now in Jesus' name. We have to be intentional. Intentional. And so, Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room dealing with anxiety, those who are full of worries and concerns. Father, I thank you that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. These are not just words on a page, Lord God. They are the supernatural words of a supernatural God. And so I'm asking, Father, that you who call yourself our burden bearer, that you would come right now and that you would supernaturally lift off burdens in Jesus' name. I pray, Father God, that you would just infiltrate lives with peace that passes all understanding. Even right now, Lord God, as they offer up their worries, their concerns, their anxieties to you, Lord, that you would take those, Father, and that you'd exchange them for ridiculous, radical peace. Peace that goes beyond their understanding. And that you guard their hearts and their minds, Lord God, that the enemy would not be able to come back and infiltrate. That they would know that you're near. And that they just need to call on you, and you'll come running. You'll come to rescue them when they call. Lord, thank you that you rescue us. Thank you that you're the God of all peace. I pray for some casting to be done here tonight, Lord God. That even right now, that, that the people would begin to, 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 to picture their burdens, their, their concerns, their worries, the things that are bringing them anxious thoughts. And Lord God, that they would picture just throwing them at your feet, giving you their baggage, letting you carry what's weighing them down. Cast it, Lord. I speak to a spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. And I command it to be gone from the lives in this room in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father God, that you would fill them afresh and anew with such peace, with such joy that's unspeakable, with such contentment, Lord, with more of yourself. Tormenting and harassing thoughts to be gone in Jesus' name and to be replaced with radical peace. Lies to be silenced in Jesus' name and truth to be released into their life. The truth of who they are in you. The truth of what they have in you. You're a bondage-breaking God. A stronghold shattering God. Would you do it in this place tonight, Lord? Overwhelm them with your goodness. Shower them, Lord God, with your presence. And rain down in this place, Lord, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs>